I'm your host, Dora Vandekamp. Welcome to the Biohack Your Beauty podcast, where we take a deep dive into the world of biohacking, lifestyle, wellness, and self-development. Join me in uncovering the mysteries of beauty, anti-aging, and ultimate longevity with the experts, teachers, and guides who are leading the health revolution. Hello, beautiful ones. Welcome back for another episode of the Biohack Your Beauty podcast. I hope you're having an amazing week. I am. I'm having a great week. It's been really nice and warm. I know some of you, at least in the United States, are going through some really, really hot weather. I encourage you to just stay strong and try to enjoy the warm sunshine. I can't believe we are in June already and that we are halfway through the year. Wow. I mean, in six months, it will be the holidays. How crazy is that? Time feels like it is flying. I know that from an energetic standpoint, we are moving really quickly. I think there's a lot of transformation going on, a lot of switching timelines and just speeding up the things that we are trying to manifest into our realities. So it's been really great to just witness all of this transformation and just so much growth and expansion. Today, I am going to be talking about Weston Price and the 11 principles of the traditional diet. And the reason I want to talk about the traditional diet is because I really believe that there is so much wisdom in our ancestors' diets that is applicable and helpful for the current issues that we are facing. So I'm sure you're aware that there are a lot of health issues in our modern society from diabetes and cancer and degenerative diseases to also infertility, hormone imbalances, low testosterone in men, high estrogen in women, people having a really hard time sleeping, people having crazy anxiety. There are all of these health issues and there are so many different views on how to address these issues. The reason I want to talk about Weston Price today and his book and his work is because what his work shows us is that our ancestors collectively did not have these issues and they had a lot of things in common. So even though our ancestors were different, right? Like our European ancestors are different than our African ancestors, different than our Asian ancestors, right? All of these indigenous people, all of these native people had things in common. And the fascinating thing is that Weston Price's work shows us that before processed foods were introduced, right, modern ways of eating were introduced, our health was immaculate. Across the board, wherever our ancestors lived, our health was amazing. 
And then Weston Price actually was documenting the diets of these groups of people, and he witnessed firsthand the introduction of processed foods into their diets, and then watched how their health transformed. And so his work actually documents through photographs, which we are so lucky to be able to see, that their dental structure changes, they became more susceptible to disease, they had cavities, their faces actually became narrower, there was crowding in their teeth, their bones became more delicate and brittle. After just one generation of eating more processed foods, and we call this, right, the white man's foods, the Western foods, so things like white flour and white sugar really changed everything for these people. And thinking of how many generations that is for us, right, how, how long have we been exposed to these processed foods and these modern diets and how has it affected our health the amazing thing is that we can go back our bodies are incredible so if we begin to eat more nourishing diets like our ancestors ate then we actually have the power to turn it around to produce really healthy children with really strong bones and wide enough jaws to support our teeth and kids who don't get cavities, right? So we have the power to nourish our bodies and help ourselves become less susceptible to these modern diseases. And also, if we plan to have children or if we have children already, nourishing them on a level where they are not only able to thrive without disease, degenerative diseases, but also to help them have children if they choose to one day that also are completely immunized in a way because of their diets. So that's what we're going to get into today. And in order to really illustrate his work, we're going to cover the 11 principles that he discovered that are actually highlighted by the Weston Price Foundation. And they're a really amazing organization. If you go online, I will leave a link in the show notes. It's westonaprice.org. And they have so much information. I'm going to be referring to their work as I share about the 11 principles because it's just so dense in information. And what you can do is if this podcast episode resonates with you, you can go on their website and find a food or local chapter to um, consult with, to see if you can find a local farm, local resources, because their work is really about helping as many people as possible have access to this lifestyle, this nourishing lifestyle. And they really call it like nourishing traditions. Like that is what the lifestyle is called, the wise tradition in food, farming, and healing. 
because our bodies, as we know, are so incredibly wise and capable of healing themselves. It's just that we need the the sources of nutrition, right? So Weston Price was a Cleveland dentist and he was getting all of these kids in his office who had cavities, who had tooth decay, who had just crowded teeth. And he was wondering why in this modern society was he seeing all of these children who had all of these issues, health issues and tooth issues, when he was seeing photos of people in North and South America, uh, in Polynesia, in Australia, who were native people, and yet they had these perfect teeth. No signs of cavity, no signs of crowding. And he started realizing like there must be something going on that we don't know about, that I don't know about. What is it? So he closed his practice and for 10 years, he traveled to the isolated parts of the earth to study the health of these peoples who had not yet been exposed to Western civilization. And his goal was really just to understand what good dental health meant. Like how did these people have these really amazing teeth? And he studied people in Switzerland. He studied people in North and South America, Melanesian and Polynesian people. He studied African people, Australian people, the Maori in New Zealand, the Gaelic communities in the Hebrides. He really had this vast array of people that he was interacting with and getting to know. And whatever, wherever he went, he found that they had beautiful teeth, straight teeth, no braces, nothing, just straight teeth, no decay. Their physiques were really healthy, right? There wasn't like this overweightness or um, lack of energy or fatigue. They had a resistance to diseases and they had a really good bone structure, Another thing that he noticed, which really was very significant to me because I have such an interest in um, just learning about childbirth and how to really help us have healthy babies and also a really healthy birthing process was actually that the people he studied had a really easy time in childbirth. So for us, like we have epidurals, we have all of these medications that help us not make childbirth painful. And the people he studied, he saw that their reproductive health was really amazing and that also they had ease of childbirth. So what did their diets look like? Well, they had at least four times the amount of minerals and water-soluble vitamins, and at least 10 times the fat-soluble vitamins as we do. And all across the board, there were no vegan diets. So all of these traditional peoples had animal foods. They used butter, fish eggs, shellfish, organ meats, eggs, 
and animal fats. Very, very cholesterol-rich foods. And when I say organ meats, they were really just using, like we've talked about in other episodes, nose to tail. So they were using the blood, they were using the stomach, the brain, the tongue, everything, because every single thing had nutrition, like deep, dense nutrition. These people actually like prized the organs over the rest of the animals. So what we think of as steak, that sometimes was just fed to the dogs because they really saw the organs as the like the the gold of the animal. So that was really interesting to me. So let's go over the 11 principles. All of these principles were characteristics of traditional diets. So even though there was variation, some of these people ate ancient grains, some of them didn't. Some of them ate more plant food, some of them ate less. These were were the 11 principles that all of these peoples had in common. Principle number one, the diets of healthy, non-industrialized people contain no refined or denatured foods or ingredients, such as refined sugar, high fructose corn syrup, white flour, canned foods, pasteurized, which we have in our society, homogenized, skim or low-fat milk. So no pasteurized, homogenized, skim or low-fat milk, refined or hydrogenated vegetable oils, protein powders, synthetic vitamins, or toxic additives and artificial colorings. So when we touch on that first principle, I just want to highlight the pasteurization of dairy for our society. And this goes back to our industrialization of our society because everything was really about commodifying and also making sure that we had things that kept longer, right? Because we had people that were working. But if you think about pasteurizing, homogenizing, and changing milk, milk is a very delicate food. It's actually not like meat. So meat, it's the protein becomes more digestible as you cook it. And the same is with vegetables, right? But with milk, milk is such a delicate and fragile protein that when you heat it up, it actually destroys the protein and it makes it harder to digest. It also kills the bacteria, the probiotics, the incredible variation of probiotics and nutrients in the milk and the enzymes as well, which helps you digest. So I think that that's a really fascinating thing to highlight. I also think that it's interesting that refined sugar and high fructose corn syrup were highlighted. I think that that was one of the first foods to be introduced into these societies and into our societies was processed sugar. And then white flour, right? Like we think of how everything comes down to white flour. I mean, looking at how we eat, so much of it includes 
sugar, and white flour, and then canned foods, right? So instead of things being fresh, things were preserved. And then synthetic vitamins, toxic additives, and artificial colorings. Principle two, all traditional cultures consume some sort of animal food, such as fish and shellfish, land and waterfowl, land and sea mammals, eggs, milk and milk products, reptiles, and insects. The whole animal is consumed, muscle meat, organs, bones, and fat, with the organ meats and fats preferred. Wow. All traditional cultures consume some sort of animal foods. So it's really fascinating to think about this vegan movement that we had. And I've mentioned before on the show that I had some health issues that stemmed from what I believe personally to be because of my vegetarianism for 16 years. I was vegan for almost 10. I was raw vegan for like six. So I really like lament sometimes that, oh my gosh, for so long I was depriving my body of these essential nutrients. And there are a lot of nutrients in plants, but they are not animal, animal nutrients. And I really believe inherently like that we are meant to eat these foods, especially when I look at our traditional cultures, our traditional cultures for thousands and thousands of years ate these foods. And it was an intuitive practice. It made sense because the body needed it. And they they consistently reproduced with ease. They didn't have these these diseases that we are facing now. And now we are looking at these diets where we are eating a variety of foods, but they are very processed. Uh, And I think of also just the health of the animals that we're eating, right? Um, So we're not eating organ meats. We're not really eating the bones. Uh, We're a low-fat culture, although I think that's changing. And then just we're not eating nose to tail as a society. So I think that's really fascinating that all of these cultures ate some sort of animal foods. And I think a part of it also is that they saw the cycle of life. So they were really in tune with nature. They were really in tune with the cycles of life and death. And in our society, we protect ourselves from that. We really have a hard time with death. I think we have kind of cognitive dissonance when it comes to what it means to eat an animal. Uh, And I come back to that as well. Like nature is not nice, right? Like it's really based on need and, and what survival looks like. And for all animals, it's eating another animal, whether it's bugs or whether it's even when you're eating vegetables and and grass, right? Like look at all of the grazing animals that we have. They are definitely not killing beings, right? There's bugs and snails and little critters. And so I think it's just knowing that that is part of the cycle of life and we are a part of that. And there is a way to do that mindfully and consciously. And the problem is not with eating an animal. It's how the animal is raised and commodified and also what it is being fed. Because this whole idea of animals having 
gas and and like contributing to global uh, or climate change. Well, hello, they're eating these GMO grains. So if at all that is an issue and that is creating such a bad um, effect, it's really because they're not eating what they're supposed to eat, which is organic grass, right, from the earth. So really looking critically at the vegan movement, I think is really, really important. And also looking at where the money is. Where is the money? (laughs) Because if we trace the money, there's always somebody behind these kinds of propaganda. And while I totally agree that the way that animals are treated is absolutely not okay, and that's why I became a vegetarian and a vegan, I think that the solution is not for us to become vegan and eat these plant-based meats. I think it's for us to go back to small farms and our communities and being able to have a connection with the animals that we're eating and understand how that cycle works. And then also being able to not be wasteful with the animals, right? So like I'm really working on this, trying to eat more of the meats of the animals and not just the like steak, right? So I've been making liver pate and I'm trying to get into eating some of the other areas of the the body of the cow and that's definitely been kind of a mind trip because it's really a mental like process of, oh my God, I'm eating this thing that is so not what we're raised to be eating, right? Like our society has separated us so much from what is innate and natural to us from our ancestors. So I definitely encourage you to explore really just what is your diet about, right? Like it's it's really for nourishment and it's really to be a part of this cycle of life that our earth is so harmoniously and naturally contributing to. So how can we be a part of that? All right, moving on to principle number three. The diets of healthy, non-industrialized people contain at least four times the minerals and water-soluble vitamins and 10 times the fat-soluble vitamins found in animal fats as the average American diet. And those vitamins are vitamin A, vitamin D, and activator X is what he called it, and that's thought to be vitamin K2. Now, these are really directly from animals, high vitamin K, high vitamin D, and vitamin K2. And I think that this is a really important principle because a lot of our current mindset around food is around restriction. And I definitely have had a history of that, especially as like a raw vegan. (laughs) It's very restrictive. And I do feel like as you become healthier, you do develop a level of discipline, right? And I think that there is a difference between restriction and discipline. I think restriction is really around not giving your body adequate nourishment. So none of these diets were centered around restriction. They were all centered around getting as much nutrition as possible, specifically minerals 
and fats. And the fat component is really important because we have a lot of diets that are all around lean meats. And what Weston Price talks a lot about is that lean meat, that was not something that was basically seen as garbage, basically like that was fed to the the animals. That was not something that they were looking to eat. They were looking to get the highest fat content possible. And so the, the thing that's really interesting is how our focus on nutrition Maybe because we have a diet culture that's so incredibly pervasive, but we get our nourishment from high fat animal products. So full fat milk, right? Raw full fat milk, egg yolks. I mean, how many times have you heard just eat the egg whites and high fat meat? So like beef, pork, lamb, These are all high fat meats and we are kind of taught that lean meat is better. So I think that that's a really interesting concept and a really important one, noticing also the mineral component. And I actually listened to a podcast episode recently about copper and how copper is something that we also don't have in our diet. Some of that is because Copper has actually been bred out of things like spinach. So spinach actually was a really high copper content food, and then they wanted to make it all about iron, and so they basically depleted the copper over time out of spinach, and now it's an iron-rich food, but it's not a copper-rich food. So we want to really incorporate copper into our diet because it is one of the three most important minerals. Three most important minerals are magnesium, copper, and potassium, and we are not getting enough of any of those. So looking into ways to get bioavailable copper, right, as well as magnesium and potassium is really important. All right, number four, all traditional cultures cooked some of their food, but also consumed a portion of their animal foods raw. Now we talked about raw dairy Raw meat is definitely something that's very contested in our culture and often seen as something that's dangerous. There's a lot of things actually that are looked at as dangerous in our culture that I think it's such a paradox, but that's another episode. But when you look at animal foods and eating them raw, I think the way to really go is to look at raw eggs and raw beef or raw lamb. And the reason I mentioned those three is because the research shows, and this is something Dave Asprey talks a lot about, is that those are foods that you can cook a little bit and still maintain the enzymes and nutrients in them without having them be fully cooked but they won't be toxic to you. So he recommends Dave Asprey on the Bulletproof diet as well, like eating um, beef, but eating it medium rare and eating lamb medium rare. I still have not gotten the courage to eat lamb. I, after being a vegetarian for so long, I think that for me, my current 
like the, the place where I'm at in my progress is eating beef, but I eat a lot of beef. That's kind of my favorite meat to eat. And I usually eat it medium rare. I cook it in um, maybe butter or duck fat, and then I just cook it to a certain level of doneness, medium rare, so it's still pink, and then I eat it. And then with eggs, I think the, the key really is, and this is with any animal food that you're eating raw, make sure that you know where it's coming from and that it's a food of high integrity. So if it is a grass-fed, grass-finished, 100% grass-fed food, if it has been pastured, right, like we look at chickens, I always make sure to get the chicken eggs that have been pastured, really pastured, not the ones from Costco. Call me crazy, but I don't necessarily 100% trust that. But I look at the eggs that are from the local farms that are really able to, I can trace where they're coming from. I know that that is going to be a healthy egg from a healthy source with integrity. And that is something that I would eat raw. So raw egg yolks coming from a really good source, organic, pastured, and the same with meat. I go to the butcher, I get fresh meat and I cook it medium rare. Now you can even go to rare. You can even choose to do raw. I am not the consultant for that. I definitely would do your research when it comes to that, just because it's something so different from what we do. And if you haven't explored this yet, I think really looking at doing your own research, and I really feel like that is just so big, right? Because we do, we jump on these trends of what sounds like the next best thing. And I think we are so like, the grass is greener on the other side. But our our ancestors, they learned this from generations before them and they were really in tune with these practices and they weren't just learning them from, from different places and then incorporating them. They were really doing something that was so intuitive and ingrained in their culture. And so I feel like it's not necessarily the best thing for us to just jump on trends, even this, right? Like this is not a trend because it's something that goes back so many years and there's documented science that is supporting this. But even then, you really want to do your research. And if you're going to eat animal foods raw, do the research. Look at other people who are doing this. How are they doing this? Talk to them. DM them. Message them. Go to meetups, right? Like these are things that are really, really powerful if they're done in a way that is mindful and conscious. So that is kind of what I would say about principle four, just from my perspective. And like every episode, this is just something that I'm exploring when I'm interviewing people, these are incredibly wise, educated, informed people who are experts. And yet, this isn't medical advice. This is something for you to really explore and do your own research on. And I think that that's really important. Luckily, there is this beautiful organization called the Weston A. Price Foundation at westonaprice.org where you have these resources and you can do your own research. But I think that that is really important. And your food, as I believe, is like 
the most important. It's the foundation of everything, of of living to a ripe old age, but also of just being your best self. And if you are raising kids, nourishing your children and your family, and really just being able to thrive as a human being. So that is what I have to say about number four. Number five, principle number five, primitive and traditional diets have a high content of food enzymes and beneficial bacteria from lacto-fermented vegetables, fruits, beverages, dairy products, meats, and condiments. So these primitive and traditional diets, and, and I think the word primitive is, it's important to highlight that was a word that he used and is used, but that really just means that these were people who came early on, right? These were traditional people who had a really rich history. It doesn't mean uneducated and it doesn't have a negative connotation. So I just want to preface this by saying that. So the level of food enzymes and beneficial bacteria was really high. So food enzymes come in foods that are fresh, in foods that are fermented, in foods that have not been heated and where the enzymes haven't been destroyed. So we've talked about the enzymes we have in our bodies to help our bodies digest, right, in our mouth. That's why we chew uh, because we need those enzymes to break down food before we even swallow our food. But food that is fresh has enzymes. So meat has enzymes. Dairy, raw dairy has enzymes. Vegetables have enzymes. Fruits have enzymes. So really not cooking them to the point of like being dead. (laughs) I mean, dead is not the right word, but making sure that you're preserving enzymes in some of your foods. Now, there are foods that you have to cook more, right? Like broccoli And that is because you also have other uh, toxins that that food has that you need to cook out. And they did have a high content of cooked foods. But when it comes to these beneficial bacteria and these enzymes, a lot of it was because they were fermenting foods. They were fermenting foods like sauerkraut and kimchi and kombucha and they were pickling meats right? So these are all ways that they were getting a high level of beneficial bacteria. And the thing that's really fascinating is that really fermented foods are one of the biggest gaps in our diets, right? So all of these traditional diets had a high content of lacto-fermented foods, and yet we don't eat them at all, right? So now we've taken the raw milk away, which has these um, these beneficial bacteria and these enzymes, and we don't eat fermented foods. So adding fermented foods into your diet, I think is a really powerful way to incorporate that. You can do kombucha. I would stay clear of the ones that have a ton of sugar added to them, but fruits, uh, vegetables, anything that is fermented. I think sauerkraut is really great. Even just a big scoop of sauerkraut a day or kefir, right? Like Dairy kefir, raw dairy kefir is a really powerful way to get those food enzymes and beneficial bacteria. And then again, not overcooking your food. All right, number six, principle number six. 
Seeds, grains, and nuts are soaked, sprouted, fermented, or naturally leavened to neutralize naturally occurring anti-nutrients such as enzymes inhibitor, enzyme inhibitors, tannins, and phytic acid. So as you may know, seeds, grains, and nuts, they tend to be what they call dormant. And so the enzymes in those foods are not activated unless those foods are soaked, sprouted, and perhaps fermented. So when it comes to grains, when it comes to eating even almonds, we want to make sure that they're sprouted and and soaked and sprouted. And that's because that allows them to be digestible. So there are schools of thought that say no grains, And I definitely don't eat a lot of grains myself, but because of the Weston Price work, I am considering adding them back in here and there. And I think one of the ways to do that is sourdough. So sourdough is actually a way to eat grains from a perspective of being fermented, right? So the dough is a fermented dough, and that way you are able to digest because these naturally occurring anti-nutrients, such as enzymes, inhibitors, tannins, and phytic acid, are not active, and so they are not making it really hard to digest. It's kind of like beans or or nuts, and you eat too many, and you're like, oh my god, you have the worst stomachache. I don't know if you've been there. I definitely have. So it's really learning how to process these foods yourself. And that's just another takeaway from this incredible work is that we have to bring our food back into our kitchen. And so while sprouted and fermented and naturally leavened and soaked seeds, grains, and nuts are not widely available to us, we can buy them. In most places, we can buy them raw. If you can buy them raw, like in California, you have to, like every raw almond in California that you get at the grocery store is actually pasteurized. It's actually flash heated. That's a part of the law in California. So you have to go to your local farm or your local produce stand or even looking at outsourcing from another state if you can to get really raw nuts and seeds and grains and then soaking them and sprouting them and then being able to eat them and thriving from them because they are rich in nutrients, right? They just are hard to digest and our ancestors knew that and so they worked around that by making them bioavailable, bioavailability once again. Principle number seven. Total fat content of traditional diets varies from 30% to 80% of calories, but only about 4% of calories come from polyunsaturated oils naturally occurring in grains, legumes, nuts, fish, animal fats, and vegetables. The balance of fat calories is in the form of saturated and monounsaturated fatty acids. So thinking of polyunsaturated oils in our current day, actually include plant-based oils, soybean oil, canola oil, corn oil, sunflower oil, safflower oil, and walnut oil, flaxseed oil. These make up now 
30% of our diet. 30%. 30% compared to 4%. Wow, that is mind-blowing. So it looks like we have a lot more of these polyunsaturated fats and oils in our diets than we used to, 30% compared to 4%. So what we need to do is take out those extra oils. But we look at the way that we're cooking and a lot of the processed foods we're eating And these oils are in everything. If you go to the grocery store and you look at the ingredients, almost always they will have those polyunsaturated oils. And if you go to a restaurant, everything is cooked in polyunsaturated oils. Why? Because they're cheap. They're cheap because the food industry has a very well-oiled system, no pun intended, that makes it super accessible and easy and cheap to use those oils rather than the rich, nutrient-rich, saturated fatty acids that our ancestors used. So I think it really comes back to being very aware of the ingredients in your food, whether you are buying something at the grocery store, whether you are eating out, whether you're cooking something at home, Really being mindful of the ingredients, where the ingredients are coming from. I know that we blame a lot of the destruction of the environment on the cattle and the animals that are being raised for food, but really the the corn and the soybean and all of the sources for these oils, palm oil, I mean they're very, very detrimental to the environment. And while palm oil is not a polyunsaturated oil, it is one that I choose not to eat because of the destruction of the environment. And it affects a lot of animals and habitats. So I think the most sustainable option is actually lard and tallow and butter. And these are the things we want to get from our local farm or from local sources as much as possible. And often when you eliminate that third party, your pricing becomes more reasonable and you are supporting your community. So I think that that's something to keep in mind. Principle number eight. Traditional diets contain nearly equal amounts of omega-6 and omega-3 essential fatty acids. So we actually have a huge imbalance in our omega-6 and omega-3 fatty acids. And that's because omega-6s are, they are present in these polyunsaturated oils that we're eating and consuming such a high amount of, again, canola oil, safflower oil, corn oil, and really all the additives and preservatives that are in line with those foods, those are all omega-6. Omega-3s are the wild salmon, the grass-fed beef, algae oils, sardines, Brussels sprouts, cauliflower, walnuts, flax seeds. These are omega-3s. And you can even get a supplement that is high in omega-3s like krill oil. 
So these are actually really good for us, but because we are depleted in those omega-3s, we have a higher level of inflammation. We have a higher level of illness. And so right now it's really optimal to maximize your omega-3s and minimize your omega-6s so that you can bring your body back into balance like our ancestors had this, this balance between omega-6 and omega-3. So you don't want to cut out omega-6 completely, right? You want to just bring it back into balance like our ancestors did. They had a nearly equal amount of each. Number nine, all traditional diets contain some salt. So salt has actually been demonized in our culture, right? Especially when it comes to your heart health and your blood pressure. But salt is actually one of the most important mineral supplements available to us. So salt replenishes sodium, which is a very important electrolyte in our body, right? We also need potassium. But in order for our minerals to be balanced in our bodies, we need salt. Even back to the ancient Romans, they were using salt. And it's also really important because it helps our body regenerate and detox after the day. So in order for our kidneys to be healthy, our body needs salt. There's so many other things that our body needs salt for, but just knowing that your body is not going to be able to function properly without it is really, really powerful to know. So making sure that you're getting salt that is unprocessed, you definitely don't want to get the common table salt. Usually it's just sodium chloride, so it doesn't have any trace minerals and it's basically toxic. So definitely avoiding table salt. I think sea salt is the most ideal form of salt. So getting sea salt from a quality company, it actually has more trace minerals than Himalayan salt. So I think that that would be my choice. I've also heard that Himalayan salt is dyed sometimes. So just being really careful if you are doing Himalayan salt, making sure that it isn't dyed, that it is completely natural. So I always like to add some salt into my water in the morning when I wake up before I drink my matcha or my coffee. I'm just adding a little bit of salt in my morning water. I actually like to warm up my water a little bit so it's kind of lukewarm. It's just easier to for my body to drink it and then I add salt to it. So again, that salt was a huge uh, source. I mean, this is like one of the 11 principles, all traditional diets contain some salt. So just acknowledging that salt is something you want to include in your diet. Principle number 10, all traditional cultures make use of animal bones, usually in the form of gelatin rich bone broths. So we had a wonderful guest named Melissa Bologna on the podcast. She created an easy and efficient way to get your bone broth. So that is also always an option. However, you can make your own bone broth. And I think the way to do this at home is going to your butcher, your local butcher, and getting bones from them. Or 
again, going on westonaprice.org and reaching out to your chapter leader and seeing what local farms around you have these bones or provide these bones because they're going to be fresh, they're going to be local, and they're going to be gelatin rich. So if you've ever made bone broth, really you would know that you're just basically taking water and you're going to be adding some of these bones, whether it's chicken bones, beef bones, whatever kind of bones that you are wanting to make bone broth with. And then you're really just simmering them for hours and hours. It's like this beautiful process of pulling the nutrients out of the bones and making a broth with them. And our ancestors actually did a lot of different things with these bone broths. So they were making herbal soups. They were making like a haggis-like mixture with the blood and the stomach of the animals. So really nutrient-dense, almost medicinal, liquidy foods that were very, very nourishing. And when I think of nourishing foods, I really think of like that, a soup, right? Like something with a lot of like healing ingredients and those really rich nutrients from the bones. So again, all these traditional cultures made use of the bones. Like we said, nose to tail, including the bones. And really like, I think just thinking of whatever is from an animal, it's nurturing our bodies in the same way. So if you're eating the bones from an animal, the bone broth, you're nourishing your bones. And we kind of tend to think of bones as something that is static, right? That it is what it is. But you actually do really need to nourish your bones, not just for you, but also for protecting your the rest of your body, right? Like your bones are, again, interactive with the rest of your body. And they also provide a certain chemistry in your body that keeps you well. Now, it also helps to prevent things like osteoporosis as you get older, that curvature in the spine, any kind of narrowing of the bones or easy breakage or arthritis. These are all things that healthy bones prevent. And those nutrients are really powerful if you do decide to have children as a prenatal nutrition perspective. That is really, really powerful. Like, All right, we are finally reaching the last principle. Oh my gosh. So principle 11, traditional cultures make provisions for the health of future generations by providing special nutrient-rich animal foods for parents-to-be, pregnant women, and growing children, by proper spacing of children, and by teaching the principles of right diet to the young. So this is, I think, one of the most beautiful principles and so incredibly powerful because when we think of the health of ourselves and our children, so much of it depends on how our parents nourish their bodies. And that is really missing in our current way of thinking is that it it really is everything. So looking at how we are taught to eat, like I think a lot of women who are pregnant, they don't 
realized or they haven't had this information and so they are eating fast food and they're eating just so many things that are not in any way part of these 11 principles and when we realize that we can really protect and provide for our children by being super nourishing and giving them these nutrient-rich foods even before they're born and then as little children while we're breastfeeding, these are all things that are so incredibly powerful and there is such a lack of support. There is such a, I, I want to say, kind of insidious counter culture to this because we have a medical system that is really based on profit. And so all of these principles really are kind of being thrown out the window in lieu of making a profit. And so I think just knowing the power of nutrition before conception, so at least six months before conception, during pregnancy, and then during breastfeeding, more support with breastfeeding because it is so incredibly powerful. And then also just being able to support our little children with these nourishing foods and then giving them the opportunity to have really powerful foundations of health. I mean, wow, because it's not just physical health, right? Like thinking of how many kids have issues with learning and uh, mental health issues, and this is all coming back to these, these dietary principles. So that is where I'm going to leave it for today. I would love to know what you think. I highly recommend either going online and going to westonaprice.org and just exploring their website and their vast amount of resources and also just looking up these photos because that was one of the cool things about Weston Price was that he was able to document the before and after photos of these indigenous peoples and of these groups of peoples because he had photos of them before processed foods and then after processed foods, one generation after. And it is so incredibly mind-blowing. It blows my mind every single time. So I highly recommend going online, checking that out, And then also perhaps even looking at ways that you can just incorporate some of these principles into your own life, whatever resonated with you, whatever you think sounds like something that you would like to practice or explore. I myself am looking to really incorporate all of them. And I think the cool thing about this is that it's really not about eliminating things. It's really about getting as much nutrient density as you can. And so I really like the idea of I can still eat things I like. I can still eat treats, but I know that I'll eat them more consciously because I won't be craving them because I'll be nourished. So there's a whole different perspective on balance and balance in my diet. So That is where I'm going to leave it today. Thank you so much. I'd love to hear your thoughts. 
send me a message or tag me in your shares on Instagram at Dora Vandekamp. And I hope that you have a beautiful week. If you loved this episode, please give this podcast a positive review on iTunes or Spotify. It helps us spread the word about the power of holistic health and beauty, and it helps this podcast grow. If you share your favorite takeaways from this episode on Instagram, please make sure to tag me so I can reshare. Thank you so much for listening. Have a beautiful week.